Living Adventurously is brought to you in partnership with Kamut, the route planning and navigation app that helps you make the most of your outdoor adventures. Whether you're cycling, hiking, running or bikepacking, Kamut's easy-to-use technology will get you out the door and exploring more of the great outdoors. You can see where I've been exploring by checking out the highlights of my journey on Kamut. Just follow the link in the show notes. My name is Alistair Humphreys. I set out on a bicycle journey around Yorkshire to speak to interesting, ordinary people who, in very different ways, are making an effort to live adventurously. I wanted to talk about what they do, about the barriers they've faced along the way, and to seek their perspective on some of the big questions that all of us encounter in our lives. Welcome to Living Adventurously. <laughs> I've written here, needs intro music. Um, okay, here we go. Um... <laughs> Have a loop. I really treasure being a one-man band, working for myself in my shed where I'm recording this today, drinking tea, doing a few pull-ups on the tree when I pop out for a wee. It's great. I love it. But what I do miss about the solitary working life is having people to share ideas with, to bounce stuff around. You know, those are the intriguing conversations around the water cooler. I don't actually know if people with proper jobs actually do hang out chatting by some sort of water cooler, but I always hear about it. Anyway, I miss having people to riff off. So what I've done is I've gradually built up a bunch of friends, some of them real, actual friends, some I only know from the internet. And these are people who, when I have an idea, I ping it off to them and see what they think. And one of those is Mike. Um, he's always been great for answering my emails, saying, when I have an idea, what do you think of this? Do you think this is a good idea? Has this got any legs? Shall I go for it? Um, Mike was one of the most reluctant people I interviewed on this um, trip and I also had to drag him out of bed what for him was fiendishly early to do the interview and I feel guilty about neither of those things. <laughs> uh, Mike describes himself online as an archaeology student turned writer and story geek as well as a travelling disaster. Last night, we, we met for a beer last night and then rain stopped play for us trying to chat um, I always see you as someone who, when I have an idea that's a bit daft or a bit weird, okay. um, I email you and ask about it. So actually, I can see you as an internet friend, really. Yeah. Internet friend without benefits. Um, <laughs> and we, we only met, actually, very recently, didn't we, properly? We did. But for some reason, I don't know how I've latched onto you, but whenever <laughs> I need some wise advice, I email you. and I, So I'm very grateful for that. Thank you. Well, But I suspect that... If I'd emailed you and said, I've got this really good idea for just grabbing random people who mm -hmm. don't really like being interviewed and interviewing them, do you think that's a good idea? I'm sure you'd have said, yeah, that's great, go and do it. And then I put you on the receiving end last night and you... Yeah, like, yes. You, yeah, you sprung that one on me. I, um... Well, I, I find I, I, I tend to give advice in two ways. I, I give advice and people follow it or give advice and people do the opposite and it works out incredibly well for them. Then they come back and I, I feel very confused about my role in the world. Do you find it easier to 
advise other people on what they should be doing in life than to advise yourself and get on with it. I am finding that right now because I'm now at an inflection point in my life where I have the opportunity and the resources to go and do the things that I've been giving advice on for the last 10 years. And of course, it's going to be incredibly hard. So yes, short answer, yes. It's, I find that a really fascinating thing. So I write a load yeah. of blogs and I've recently started the blog thing about living adventurously and it's veering dangerously and alarming into the, into the self-help genre. <laughs> and snake, I'll be selling snake oil next. Uh. So I write these things and I think what I'm writing is like, yeah, this is sensible. And people write back and say, this is great. Mm. And then I don't do any of it in my own life. It's very weird. Why do we do that? I don't know. Getting people to do stuff, including most of all yourself, I would say. It, it, ideas are cheap. Ideas are free, actually. Ideas are worthless. Um, this is why I get confused when a, a, classic, a classic thing that somebody new to a field, new to a creative field says is, I'm scared that somebody's going to steal my idea. You should not be scared about that at all. First of all, your idea would propagate out there and you'd get a name for yourself. For, so try and get people to steal your ideas, but just make sure that you're the one who's going to do it the best which means getting on with it immediately. So don't hang on to your ideas. Give your ideas away freely, but be the one who acts first. Yeah, I completely agree with that. Yeah. Um, how's your project going of, you're a travel writer in a, in, mm. in a way. Uh, how's your project going, going around every city in the UK? <laughs> is that still in the way? Uh, no, that was, um, that, was, that was an interesting failure because uh, at, that, at that point, um, at that point in my, in my blogging, I really wanted to find a story for myself that I could really commit to. Uh, unfortunately, that wasn't the one, but it's on hold. So what that turned into was a number of other things. So my blog has been... Good grief. This is, this is somewhat humiliating <laughs> to realize, but my, my blog has been a series, of, a series of experiments and most of them have failed. <laughs> and, that is, and I feel very happy about that now. Are you trying to invent the light bulb? Because <laughs> that works out in the end. <laughs> I, um, so, sorry, oh, I interrupted you. Tell me about you were quite happy about all the failures. Yeah, the I... Yeah, I feel I feel happiest about the things that failed because it was it was really good feedback and it it stopped me wasting my time. I've done a lot of things where I it didn't fail, it succeeded but not to my benefit or anyone else's. It just kind of ambled along. So those kinds of Yeah, I I like those kinds of failures and I now see myself as somebody who throws things at the wall and expects most of them to be rubbish and I I I like that. I also, it's also, it goes back to your original point, your original question. It makes it easier when it's other people that you can throw these ideas at and then you can, and then they go away and they try these things and they don't work out and then you can, you can, yeah, then they never talk to you again. So, <laughs> okay. <laughs> so yeah. is, that, is that the point? At one point, you're, you're hoping I'll stop emailing you. <laughs> um, I, I, as you know, I quite interesting the idea of making adventures smaller and smaller and smaller. Mm -hmm. um, so tell me about your um, project of trying to walk a mile every day ah, and then write yeah, yeah. about it. That Because um, that sounds so boring. Nothing happens yeah, in a mile. Absolutely. Uh, that actually I was... I, I really enjoyed doing that. And that was, that was another of, uh, of, of my blogging project that I couldn't keep up. So it, in one sense, it was a failure. In another sense, it's led directly on to what I'm doing now. But it's, it's a really... 
I set myself too ambitious a goal with it as a publishing project, but it was certainly not ambitious as a concept. It was a, it was a really good constraint on me, and it, it forced me to be curious. Okay, give me an example of what you would do for your going to walk a mile and hmm. writing about it. Well, there was one of them where I, I just, I, I, I went for a walk and I saw birds on a telephone line. And my first thought was, why, why are they not electrocuted? And that led me on to thinking about, yeah, that led me on to the science of ele- uh, telephone lines and, 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 and why birds don't go bang and why people go bang if they grab a telephone line, a telephone line, uh, and, and... Pylon thingy. Uh, yeah, power line, I should say, sorry. And, um, and that led me down a rabbit hole and it's very interesting to write about. But then that led on to why do birds, uh, how can birds predict the weather? And that was the, the next days. So there was, a, there was a direct line between those two things. But it was a rabbit hole. It was like a, I had a question, I chased it, it led to another bunch of questions. So it wasn't about the walk, it was about what the walk triggered. It, it's the nice thing, well, it can be the frustrating thing, but you, you ideally learn to make it the nice thing of going to, for a walk with a toddler. Yeah. You think, oh, yeah. right, toddler, we are going to go and climb that hill mm. to the top. And they're more interested in every random thing that happens and you don't get anywhere near the top and you come away thinking we failed to get to the top and then you realize actually we that's didn't right yeah so it's it's and it, that's seeing the world through another set of eyes which is always interesting as a, a creative exercise as well as a journalistic and scientific exercise have, uh, have you read um on looking by alexandra horowitz she's it's about going for a series of walks and taking a different bunch of experts along with you and she wrote her previous book to that was called, uh, I think it's called Inside of a Dog. And she, she was l- trying to understand the world f- from the perspective of a dog. So she, she studied her dog. And, um, and I think, her, I think her, her day job has something to do with this. I, I, I'll need to, I think she's like a, a, an animal behavioral um, I, I don't know. Something but it's, clever. It's, it's a wonderful book, and it's it's really interesting. She goes for a walk with uh, graphic designers. Um, oh yeah, I, I won't spoil it because I enjoyed it so much. But yeah. it's well. There's there's also a brain pickings post all about it, so that will give you a good yeah. flavour of that. Well, one. yeah, if you've gotten brain pickings, and you're you've clearly got a big brain somewhere down the line. <laughs> um, you're an online writer. I am. Which actually is a phrase I've never heard before. Mm. Why do you say you're an online writer, not a writer? <sighs> well, that is probably my, that's probably my insecurity at the fact that I haven't written any books. So that is, that is a constant reminder that I got into this, this strange writing luck because I wanted to write books. So, and that hasn't changed. And that, the only way that that will change is that I write books and I become a writer. So that's, that's more of a kind of a, a reminder to me. But, but it's also, it reflects where 90% of my, my work happens and where I get paid as well. Yeah. It's, yeah. And I imagine it'd be interesting to know in the, in the whole universe at large, what percentage mm. of words mm. are read online. Yeah. I suspect it's 90% at, yeah. at least, I would guess. So, I would think so. Yeah. Yeah. But, but, but my snobbishness thinks, oh, I'd so much rather write a paper book than a 
let's a blog post that's on Reddit or something that yes. a, a billion people read. But Absolutely. I'm just skewed, skewing it wrong. I feel the same way. I also feel this. I, I feel online writing. Uh, I'd feel a little bit like Paul Theroux. Paul Theroux was in an interview with Rolf Potts a while back, and he went on a rant about bloggers, and it was about this. This he was talking about them being um, creators of this hastily written rubbish that. Um, that didn't linger and said nothing. But uh, the, the thing that stuck with me was the didn't linger, because where, does, where is online writing held? Where is it stored? How is it going to survive for the next 50 years, next 100 years? Um, how is it going to be... How's it, how's it going to spread? So we don't, know, we don't know where the internet is going to go. We certainly don't know how data is going to be stored. The, the old ways of storing data, the floppy disks, they're already covered in mold. They're already dying. Hard disks die. You know, it's, this technology is itself temporary. So I, I wonder about that. If you're an online writer and all your words are online, where is your legacy going? Okay, there's a couple of things on that. I think one... Neither of us are experts here, so we're going to, mm. have to start making oh, stuff up. <laughs> but I suspect that the internet mm-hmm. is not going to go away. Mm. And I suspect that you know that website Wayback Machine that can look at every blog right all the way back through history. Mm. Just, in my, it feels to me that if you've written something on the internet, somehow the clever people is going to always be there. Mm. Whereas a small printed book like Fly Fishing by J.R. Hartley <laughs> disappears. So yeah. perhaps there is a permanence to, to mm. internet writing. Um, and the second thing I think about the hastily written side of things is I, um, I often feel the same sort of thing, but mm. what I've quite enjoyed or made myself enjoy about Instagram is Instagram, you allowed 2,200 characters. Yeah. And when I have the time, I really enjoy trying to write something well, mm. right up to that 2,200 characters. Yeah. So there can be good stuff of writing online, can't there? Yeah, I, I absolutely agree. The, the, the process of writing online has been terrific for me, uh, especially when I was doing it regularly. I've, I've been a highly irregular blogger over the last five years. Um, but, yeah, I, I, in terms of the, um, the permanence of things online, there's a lot of horror stories out there. There's a lot of, oh, this server goes down, this cable, this cable snaps, and you're, you're online life is is no more i'm i'm sure that there is a there is a happy medium between these fears um but i but i i I got into this before the internet came along so my my identity as a writer is very much founded on it's going to be a a thing on paper and it's good or or i would very much like to be a writer that people hear so i i grew up in cyprus so i my dad was um uh, in the Royal Air Force, and I used to listen to BBC World Radio, and the, the stuff that I listened to on there shaped me as a writer, I believe. Um, and so now that podcasting has come along, and now that audio has come along in a big way, and all the all the different Frankenstein options, you know, connected with all of that, that now feels a very exciting thing to explore. And you're, and you're still being a writer. You're still. It's just the delivery. It's just the, the medium that you're you're reaching people with. Is changing so um, yeah I'm, I'm excited about where things are going but I have a very clear idea of when I will s- stop mainly being an online writer and I look forward to it okay I um, recently wrote a book a paper book um, and recorded the audio of it for an audio book mm. and 
as I was reading the audiobook, it made me think that the next book I write, mm-hmm. I need to write it more about how it's going to sound. I've never, I mean, I try and write it so it sounds nice and feels nice as you read it. Mm. But I was really conscious of recording this audio thing because audiobooks are getting huge. I was thinking, next time I write a book, I need to pay attention to this as a listened book. Right. It's interesting. Bernie Brown, I think it's Bernie Brown. She used to go with, uh, she would take a bunch of friends up to a mountain cabin. It was with one draft of her book. She had, she had a couple of chapters and she she just sat them all down, gave them food and, and, and drink and then performed it. And she got that feedback. But she could, I guess it's hear, it was hearing herself that, that allowed her to self-edit. Wasn't it uh, that... Yeah, I think it was you told me that story. She was uh, struggling to write her stories, yeah. but she's quite a chatty lady, isn't she? Yeah. So she thought, hey, I'll just tell you this great story. Yeah. I'll get all my friends, tell them, give them some wine and tell them a story, which is what a good book is, my is isn't it? Talk. Yeah, exactly. Yeah, that Turn that into yeah. words and you're away. Mm. Um, do you find being a writer a tough slash scary oh, job? I find... Because it's not like going down a coal mine. No, are not you, in the are least. You being, are, I, you, are you a bit of a wimp? I am, I am... I never want to stop being aware of how lucky and privileged I am to be able to do this very odd meandering. Meandering? Meandering is maybe not the, the right word, but it's... Um, I wear a lot of hats, and I've got used to that, and I deal with a lot of uncertainty in my life. I've got used to that as well. And I've also... The uncertainty side of things has become has become something very dear to me with the possibilities that that brings and the freedom that brings to, to try out new things and experiment wildly and, and fail wildly, you know. But, but it is um, a scary thing. It, it, it is scary. Yeah, it's scary, but I... I everything, is, everything is scary. The, the, the thing that would scare me more and has scared me more in the past is being in a, in a, in a job where I can see exactly where it's going to go. And I could be like, I, I used to work in a pottery and I found that uh, I, I was making cup handles for mugs at a place called Haunty Pottery, which is no longer, no longer in, in existence. So that worry that I had back then of, it, of my career being 20, 30, 40 years of that would not have happened. But I could certainly see at the time and that was really affecting me. So, so then back then you were, you were doing this job you didn't like. Yeah. Um, and you're dreaming of being a writer. Yeah. And I think there's probably a lot of people in the world who are doing something they don't really like and they're dreaming of this. Yes. Um, and <coughs> what was holding you back? Mm. And what made the change? What was holding me back was 75% myself. That was mostly fear. That was mostly insecurity. It was also feeling... It was feeling that there was a proper way of be- becoming a writer that I wasn't doing. That you go to, you know, you do a certain amount of training, you go to journalism school, you become an intern somehow, then you do this and do that, and you slowly rise, you know, you climb up the ladder. And because I felt like I was coming into it from such a very odd direction, I felt like I was never going to get on that ladder, so I didn't try. You, so, really. you, for example, um, you didn't even have, even have, because even I don't have it either, but you didn't even have English A-level. 
Um, yes, I... So you don't have a sort of literati background? Yes, I, um, I did terribly at my exams, uh, first when, time around. When did you do your English A-level then? My, let me see, I, um, well, I went back to uh, Hull White College of Further Education in two, in 1998, 99, yes. And I did a number of A-levels. Uh, that would allow me to go to the University of York and study archaeology. So you were um, about 30-ish at the time. I was 30. In a and classroom with a bunch of 17-year-olds. Quite literally sat in the classroom. I, uh, yeah, Uncle Mike. It was the most... That's what they called you. Yeah, pretty, yeah it was just... Ah, it was, it, it's strange that some of them have gone on um, to, to, to have normal adult careers. And I still think of that as... as Pretty much like yesterday, there's, there's one of them who is now an actor, and he's he he played uh, the um, the U.S. fantasy series Once Upon a Time. He played King Arthur. His name is Liam Garrigan. He's an actor from Hull, and I was sat in the class with him, and he was 16, 17 years old. Very strange when I look back on that, but it got me to where I wanted to be. So, so you were in your proper job. Yeah. You were feeling classic symptoms of imposter syndrome. Yes. Uh, but you kind of want to make this change, but didn't. What, <clears throat> boom, catalyzed a thing of thinking, right, I've got to make, I'm going to make a change. Was, it, was there a moment? I think... Heart attack or anything like that? Yeah, I, well, I've had, a, I've had a few... Um, I've had a few shocks to the system, really. <clears throat> um, in around 1992, my, my father passed away, and that was a wake-up call for me in a number of ways, including physically, because I was, I was very out of shape at that point. I, was, I pretty much had the same kind of lifestyle as him because I was working in the same furniture company as him. So that was, a, that was a shock, and I realized I was on a certain path and something needed to be done. <coughs> Excuse me. And, um, yeah, and there, there were a number of moments where I, I think I developed an imagination from the kind of stuff that I used to read. I read a lot of science fiction. I read a lot of, a lot of travel writing early on. And it was all about going out and learning about the world and learning new things. And I always loved that feeling of going into a library. I love the feeling of what you don't know and, and the, the, the pull of that and the, the call of that. And so that would haunt me and that would drive me onwards. And there'd be a number of points where I would, I would just be... Well, I know what's going to happen, and that's not that's that's not good enough. I I need to I need to know less things about my future, and and then I would pivot from that. And that and I I went to university pretty much in defiance of my of my late mum, who was very much kind of of the the attitude: if you're in a job, you stay in a job because there's people out there who can't feed themselves. And and I, you know, I I understand that attitude, but you also need to. You need to experiment with your life. You need to, you need to test the boundaries, and you all, you also need to be selfish enough to look after yourself as well. And part of looking after yourself is doing your best to make the life that you want. Someone said to me earlier in this rambling tour of talking <clears> to people that the only way you can look after other people is by first of all looking after yeah. yourself. Yeah. Which is a difference from selfishness, isn't it? Yes, absolutely. Yeah. Uh, now, I have a feeling that if mm. I emailed you saying, Mike, I've had this idea. What mm. I think I might do is make a deck of cards with really hard questions about life <laughs> and go around and corner people in yes. the hours bef when they'd normally still be in bed asleep 
I think you'd have said, oh, Al, that's a great creative idea. You should go and do that. Oh, no, I would say that's a terrible idea. What a, what a, what a ludicrous idea that is. And, um, and I can see it's working out well for you. So there you go. Perfect example. Pick a card, any card. Okay. <laughs> Good grief. The card says, tell me about making the most out of life. Oh, well, what an interesting question. That's what people say on these things when it's a really hard question, isn't it? So, <laughs> Giving um, themselves stalling time. Yes, that's right. I think making the most out of life is, is, is about increasing your number of questions. It's not about answering things. For me, a good life, is, a good life is, has become doing that, continually moving forward, trying to find new things that I don't know. And those, those, things, have, those things have always led me to do something that's more interesting and more exciting. So I, I think making the, most, making the most out of life is about not settling for answers because there aren't any answers that, that really there aren't any answers answers are a they're a convenient uh a, a convenient self-lie you know none of us have any answers so just questions just questions so just make your questions more interesting as you go along and make sure that you have enough of them to keep you excited and moving forward i think i'm quite late to the world of um being curious mm. i don't think i don't think yeah, I think I'm re relatively late to it, but I'm really, really enjoying now just mm. being fully curious about everything. Mm. Makes life interesting, doesn't it? Insatiable curiosity. Why do you say that you're late to, the, to that world? I mean, isn't, that's kind of your career, isn't it? To be incessantly um, curious about the world. Perhaps I was inadvertently curious then, perhaps. Okay. But I don't think until, certainly in my, until my 30s, I don't think I would have marked that out as thinking... I want to be really curious. I, I don't think mm. I would have been particularly conscious. Maybe I was doing it. I guess I never asked the question earlier, mm. but I'm interested in it now. Yeah, um, okay. And I think that's a great thing of going traveling, isn't it? Is that mm. every day becomes filled with curiosity rather than routine. Yeah. Um, and what I like about your mile a day thing is that's a way to bring curiosity into everyday routine, which is what yeah. most of us have most of the time, isn't it? Yeah, and, and it, it, it forces you to be aware I, th I think we it's very easy to to wander through our patterns in life it's like we make um oh i've, for I've forgotten what robert mcfarlane's um he was talking about the the, the past that people make that are different to the past that are laid down in co in tarmac and concrete oh, it, uh, desire lines yes yeah. that's right yeah and they're we, fascinating aren't they? yeah really interesting and um and we make those as we go around the world, but, but when we've made them, we stick to them and we focus on other things instead of being aware. So when we're, when we're on these lines, we're not looking anymore. We're not, we're not questioning. We're just accepting. And we're also tuning out because of things like Google Maps. I mean, I've, I've noticed that my behavior has, has changed for the worse when I'm using Google Maps because I find myself looking down at the phone and not looking up. And um, that's, that's terrible. That's awful. And it also, it's awful because I love the feeling of, of being a bit lost as well because it, it turns the world into a puzzle that you've got to solve. And I, I love that. Um, yeah. Hmm. Thank you. All right. Uh, next question. <laughs> Another one. Good. Great. <laughs> <clears throat> 
I'm going to keep doing this until we get to your normal uh, getting up in the morning time. Okay. <laughs> what is stopping you from living more adventurously? Well, that's the interesting thing. As of about three weeks ago, nothing is stopping me from living more adventurously. The, yeah, the, the normal constraints that most people have, you, for various circumstances, are currently quite a free agent, aren't you? you I have, am quite have, a free agent. At the I've, moment, you have both time and money. Yes. Um, for, for the first time in quite a long time, I do have that, that freedom. And it's, um, you know, it's, it's a privilege, and I'm very grateful... Yeah, I'm grateful to my late mum for being able to put, for putting me in this position. And now I, I feel I can do a number of things, but the, the, what is really stopping me from acting on that today is working out how those things all fit together. Because I do want to, part of my job is editing stories for people and, and making people recognize the shape of their stories and being able to recognizing the power to change the stories and not just like life stories and so on but literally stories um stories for magazines stories for blogs and so on and and making people realize that things are as fluid as you want them to be so now i'm in the position of doing that for myself and that's going to be really hard work and i expect it to be quite scary and terrifying but all that freedom is there so what's stopping me now is a little bit of hard work and, and a lot of introspection. Thank you. <clears throat> Next Thank question. You. <laughs> Are you enjoying uh, this yet? Oh, it's, absolutely. Oh, this is quite fun. It's free therapy. <laughs> I even bought your coffee. <laughs> you wouldn't get that in a New York shrink. Absolutely. What is the question that you are afraid to ask? That I'm afraid to ask? What, myself or you or... Yourself. Everyone? Myself, right, okay. Oh, it can be me if you want. Ask me anything. <laughs> Come on. That's Why is the question that I'm afraid to... Afraid. Afraid to ask. Do you want me to ask you a question? I, oh, go yeah, on then. Well, have you got one? I, I, I think I have one, but you're... Go on then. Let's, let's, let's do both. Go on. Um, <clears throat> I think the one, that, the one that annoys me, because it does make me... It makes me feel quite defensive. Is the classic question for travellers is, um, what are you running away from? And that's that's everyone gets that who does long-term travel, and it's sometimes it, it's intensely annoying because a lot of the time you feel like you're running towards something. But there are there are always things that you are running away from, and it's about being honest with yourself about what those things are. And it doesn't mean that you're. It doesn't mean that you're doing it out of fear. It means it can mean that you're doing it for good reasons, and you're being intentional with your life. Um, but I am, I, I always, I am afraid of that question because it does make me defensive, and it makes me irritated, and it brings out the worst in me. Mike, what are you running away from? <laughs> <laughs> so here's, here's, here's a. Um, a question that I think you might be afraid to ask, and okay. you can either tell me I'm right or I'm wrong. Okay because I'm either right or wrong with this, I think the question you're afraid to ask yourself is, Mike, mm. why don't I start writing my book today? <sighs> I knew this, this interview was a bad idea. Yes, uh, yes. That is, a, that is an... I, I had actually decided, after our chat yesterday, I had actually decided to start working on the book idea that I 
um, stumbled into back in uh, up in Orkney, where I've just come back from, I decided to start working on that today, but also start working on this is the problem, but also, but yeah, also, yeah, but yeah. also, and this is how these, these things creep sideways, and all of a sudden I'm doing nothing. But I do have another book idea that is to do with... Um, um, I'm very interested in the idea of... <coughs> excuse me. The idea of the inside. The inside is this, this construct that we've made for ourselves, and it distances us from the environment that we're in. So when, when we're inside a, a house, we've, we've built this... We don't just enter a house. We've built this idea of a house and this idea of inside, and we feel that we're separated from everything that's, that's outside it. And I got... I started thinking about that a lot when I was bivy bagging because bivy bagging forces you to recognize that you're outside, whereas a tent doesn't. You get in a tent and you are, you feel like you, you've gone inside and everything, everything outside is, um, is just, has just kind of gone away and faded away. <clears throat> but with, a, with bivy bagging, this freaks people out. This makes people so nervous. And it, didn't, it did to me at first, but it was, it was really that. It was the idea that I couldn't escape from the outdoors, which is absurd when you're going, you're going out into the outdoors to enjoy it. Why would you want to escape from it? But so it's, um, I, I'm really interested in that idea. I want to chase it. I want to see if I can turn that into a book. And I'm, I'm going to be working on that today. I think the inside's a really good idea of a book. Um, I notice it when I'm on trips. Mm. For prolonged trips of being more than a few days, I really enjoy it when I get to a phase when I realise that, oh, being outside is now my default setting. Yeah. I'm yeah. outside for most of the time with the wind and noticing the... So I've been going only for two weeks so far, but already I've noticed the days getting shorter, mm. which in a normal two weeks at home I wouldn't notice. Uh -huh. Okay, so you've got two book ideas, both of which I think are very good. Mm, my you. suggestion to you would be... <clears throat> Choose the one of those which is easiest to finish, <laughs> which I suspect is the Orkney one. Yep. Uh, that's a finite, achievable, doable project. Go do that, get it published, or do it, publish it yourself, because then yep. you can call yourself, my name is Mike, and I'm a writer. I'm a writer. And I suspect then you'll find it much easier, yeah, mm. much easier to then pontificate about so what, what's what difference side means. What, what's the difference between I'm a writer and I'm an author in can, your mind? I would love to walk up to someone and say, hi. I'm an author, <laughs> but I've never, uh, I've never had the bare-faced cheek to do that. Ah, okay. I suspect if I was courting, I might mm. introduce myself as an author. But if I'm not wanting to get punched in the face, I'd probably usually stick to saying I'm a writer. Okay. Uh, one more question, Mike. Okay. Because I finished more. my co I finished my coffee and need a wee. <laughs> what is an absurd thing that you love? Most of my life is, is, is fairly absurd, and that's, that, that's, that's kind of how I like it. I, I have a lot of friends who look at me with raised eyebrows when I talk about the things that I do and the things that I'm interested in. I think one of the, one of the most absurd things, considering what I'm doing and what I want to do, is I love, <clears throat> I love video games, and I'm not talking about video games as in sitting down playing them for, for hours and hours every day because I find that really unproductive. I'm talking about the, the creativity around some video games. There's, there's actually one that's by a Canadian company called The Long Dark, which is about surviving in the Canadian wilderness. And that there's, there's something a little bit absurd there about 
you want to be a travel writer, you want to get out in the world, and you're sat there pretending on a laptop. So, but, it, but it's the, what that game teaches me is really interesting. It's a, it's a beautiful game as well. It's, it's, really, it's just really interesting to see the creativity put into it. But it teaches you that most of the things, most of, most of the reasons that you fail in the great outdoors are yourself. Because the, in, the environment that you're, that you're in in this game doesn't care about you. It's not for you. It's not designed for you. It doesn't revolve around you. And you learn you learn that the, the, the things that go wrong are your own fault. That's a, good th that's a good thing to learn in life generally. It's, you know, I think it's very easy to, to uh, abdicate responsibility for things that are important to you, to, to other things and other people, and then you end up with this kind of blaming attitude, and that doesn't get you anywhere in life. So if, if you take responsibility for all the things that you've done wrong, and if you take responsibility, you can actually use those things. Like, failures are really useful. It's so useful. And I, I, I just say, please go out and experiment and fail wildly because you're just, you're gonna, that's going to give you what you need. There is, in that sense, there is no failure. There is no failure. There is just a series of experiments that led you on to other experiments. Um, but I, I, love, I love those kinds of video games. The other side of video games really worries me the side you know like mobile games there's a particular type that they're called clicker games and they're literally they're doing nothing it's just a leveling up exercise but i'm interested in that i'm interested in the way that games have informed online culture and the way that we've become addicted to online culture especially social media social media has been gamified with all the tools that um, that came out of video games in the first place, and now we're all addicted. So we're all hooked on video games. That sounds like a third book. <laughs> well, that actually is... Uh, there's, there's a wonderful book by Stephen Berlin Johnson uh, many years ago, but it was, about, it was about video games in this respect, and it's called... I think it's got everything... Everything Bad is Good for You, I think it's called. And... It really was talking about that. There's, um, there's, there's people writing about this stuff that, that I... This is a field that I would love to read more about. But it really is about change, the, the changing of our behaviour with the medium that we use as writers to reach people. And it's, it's, a, it, it's concerning, but it's also... There's lots of opportunities there. And there's lots of opportunities, like storytelling consultancy is, is part of what I've been doing for the, last, for the last five to seven years, in fact. And the good side of storytelling, reaching people and making them care about something is, is wonderful and fascinating and life-affirming and life-enriching and motivating. The bad side, as we've seen with various political situations recently where people get sucked into the orbit of fake news and, and get their opinions hijacked and used, weaponized um, by stories that are patently false or are just false enough. That side of thing is, is very concerning. Um, but, but, but all of this is, is the reality that we're in. So and for me, that's all sprung out of gaming and I, I i had a zx spectrum back in 1982 oh, oh you did as well yeah. oh, fantastic oh with a rubber keyboard yeah. and 48k that, yeah well it was funny that the 
around 1984, my, my house was struck by lightning and uh, the spectrum was plugged in and it blew up and there were pieces of the rubber keyboard melted onto the ceiling because it blew up so violently. It was, it was wonderful. Wow. Yes. That is yeah. art. That, that, that is art. That's your fourth book. <laughs> um, Mike, thank you for, well, thank you for the help you give to me uh, and thank you for enduring my questions. You haven't even drunk your coffee. I know, I know. That's, okay. that's next on my list before okay. the books. Okay, thank you. Good luck with your book. Thank you very much, Al. I hope you've enjoyed this episode of Living Adventurously. There's show notes from every episode on my website, alistairhumphreys.com slash podcast. If you have enjoyed it, please take a screenshot of your phone and pop it up on social media or leave a review with your podcast provider. It makes a massive difference. Thank you very much. I teamed up with Kamut to make this podcast happen. In case you missed it, Kamut is an outdoor planning and navigation app that helps you explore more of the great outdoors. One of the many ways Kamut helps you have better adventures is with detailed route profiles. So, you've got your basic route in place with Kamut. Next step is to check the route profile. The profile displays the information you want to see, like the, the surface type, especially important if you're on a bike, and Elevation profile, <laughs> especially important for everyone, the ups and the downs on a road bike, for example. That means you can anticipate the big climbs or ensure your adventure only includes tarmac, unless you want to spice it up and you want to suffer, in which case you can hunt for a gravel route or more single track. If you're hiking, you'll be able to see your elevation gain as well as where on the route you'll need to push on to get through the uphills. Your very own outdoor experiences are waiting for you. Go explore more with Kamut. Head to kamut.com slash G and use the voucher code ADVENTUROUS to claim your free region bundle.